I paraphrase that. And I used to read that and go, yeah, but I know I'm not righteous, Father. If you're in Christ, he declares you righteous. So don't stop praying. Everything is possible for him who believes. That's what Jesus said to a man in the Bible. And he says, I do believe. Help my unbelief because that exists in us. There's a part of us that goes, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And the other one that knows I'm fallible flesh and I'm pretty pathetic at times. Praise be to God. We just wanted to say thank you and for all the efforts that went into the yard sale. Saying thank you again. That was a lot of work. And the love expressed uh, touched us. Uh, I also want to say thank you to Aaron because after I preached out of my NIV last time, Shazam! I got a brand new Bible. <laughs> and it's an ESV. That's so cool. The Lord just provided that like that. So this is now my pretty Bible. <laughs> this Bible makes me wash my hands before I open it. There is going to be no ink in this one. This is my work Bible. And it has yellow oily pages. But I love reading. And yesterday it was so great having them side by side. So thank you, Aaron, for that. And I want to know, I probably have a cooler Bible than you. I have three tassels. All right. I know, stir up jealousy in the body. All right, so we're going to be working out of Hebrews 12, 1 through 11, particularly relevant to me because of the work God's been doing, and God works in ways that are above our ways and beyond our ways and our understanding, but he's intimate God. And if you're here today and you're not sure of this, he loves you. Jesus loves you. You may not feel it or believe it, but this is truth. It's from his word. You are precious in the sight of God. And he did everything so that someday when all of this is done, we will be with him forever in perfect relationship. Not because we got all our act together, but because of everything he has done. And we will be made brand new in Christ Jesus. Amen to that. I say amen. So let's stand together while we read the word of God. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which so Cling so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard 
lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when you're reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let's pray. Father, in John 16, 13, it says, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Father, your word is truth. It is a fabulous meal prepared to perfection and presented in fullness of nutrition for our hearts and our spiritual DNA in Christ. May we please ingest, digest, and assimilate it completely. We pray against distractions and any other power or pretense that sets itself up against our knowledge of you. In your awesome and wonderful name, Lord Jesus Christ, we gather together. We have hope, assurance, and gratitude in praise and worship. And in your name, we gather together and pray. Amen. You may be seated. When I put up the title, Embracing Discipline, I kind of had intended a double meaning. The discipline that we are in of living a Christ-centered life, but also the discipline meted out by God for our good, which we're going to call training in righteousness. I have to get my finger to work. On your notes, discipline is an integral part of our walk with Christ. Integral. Of our continued growth out of our flesh and fleshly responses and attitudes, and into the spirit-filled life of maturing and maturity that God desires for his children. So you have integral growth, spirit-filled. First verse says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and we already know that when it says, therefore, you have to go back because you have to find out what this is there for. Therefore, what? Out of what did it spring? So if we pop back and Sue, I need a favor real quick. I left my readers in my side pocket. Verse 36 Some face jeers and flogging. This is a chapter on the heroes of the faith. 
By faith, by faith, by faith. It mentions over and over again. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. Thank you. Appreciate that. Back rub? Thank you. All right. All right. Oh, man. I can see another miracle. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went out in sheepskin and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. I want you to read 11.13 or just listen. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. We're looking for a country of their own. The inheritance on which their faith was fixed was invisible. Their focus was not on the earthly, but on the heavenly, and not on the present, but on the future, and what was to come out of that. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, So we fix our eyes, we in Christ fix our eyes, not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen They're temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. They're forever. And so he's asking us to have the focus that kept these people wrapped in the faith. They did not fall to the side. Their focus was somewhere else. The fulfillment for them, as for us, is in Christ Jesus, the resurrection and the life. Those of the old and the new eras together are awaiting the perfection that will come on the day of Christ Jesus, our promised Messiah. It will be his day. And then we will be joined, and there will be this great, gigantic gathering together. If you go over to Matthew 25, he basically separates them into sheep and goats, those in Christ and those not in Christ. Earlier in our verse, it talked about witnesses. We have this great cloud of witnesses. The Greek word witness is our English word martyr. They are not just spectators. They are examples who have gone before. They bear testimony to the power of faith and to God's faithfulness. I looked between the two versions, and I like the next verse out of my uh, old Bible. It says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles versus let us lay aside or the sin that clings so closely. The same idea, though, is not gentle in my, as I'm reading it, hey, get rid of it. The stuff that's weighing you down. I'll tell you what, you have swimmers in the Olympic races when I was a kid, I was going, are you serious? They're shaving their legs. Those hairs might just hold me back. Two one-thousandths of a second. And they wear the cap, and they got on the minimal amount there, 
And the runners are the same, same way. They don't want something. You don't see a runner with a backpack on or in the army now. It doesn't work that way. And he's telling us, why, oh, why are you walking around carrying garbage on you? I haven't called you to that. Get rid of it. It's pretty straightforward language. Let us throw it off, the sin that so easily entangles. And only you and God know those secret chambers of your own heart and mind. They're not always visible, are they? The ones that are the most powerful are the ones that only you and God know about. And we sometimes keep those locked away in a safe file cabinet. No one's getting to those, and I'm taking them with me to the grave. And I'm here to tell you this morning, God's not going to let that happen. He hasn't called you to be a prisoner. He's called you to freedom. And he longs for his children to walk in everything that he is because he lives in us by his spirit. What are the burdens you're packing that are holding you back? Only you know those things. I made a few, a list, maybe kind of out of my own self and things I grapple with. Fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 combats that. God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and love and self-control or self-discipline or a sound mind, depending on the version. He hasn't called us to fear or timidity, but of power. Boy, that's a 180. I haven't called you to this. That thing, remember, get rid of it. Let's make that that pile over there. I haven't called you to fear. I've called you to power and not power mongering, I've called you to intrinsic built-in Holy Spirit fiber that you can tap into at any moment's notice. And you spend time in the Word of God and you read His Word and you talk with Him as you go along the way. This is why we're in the trouble that we're in in our own country right now. We, I hold us as parents responsible because really it's simple before God. When you get up in the morning, when you're walking along the way, when you're eating lunch, when you're going to bed at night, you tell them all the things of God and you center and your lives are on God when you're shopping, when you're working, when you're playing. It's him in the center of everything. Fear, anger. James 1.20 says, man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Dad, raise me. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Man, did I get that intellectually. I carried wrath with me at least 29 years, and I have a wife and a son that can bear testimony to that. Rage. Happy-go-lucky volcano. Here's what you guys get to see, and then once in a while... Turn your head. This is going to be ugly. <laughs> Prisoner. Not anymore. Jesus sets us free. And the enemy wants to make you believe, oh no, I got that hook in there. No way, buddy. I got Holy Spirit Teflon coating. When you threw the hook, it went ting, ting. You can't get in. I'm protected with armor on Jesus, Holy Spirit. All right? Thou art a shield about me. That's what we sing. Hatred. Whoo, hatred. 
I remember going up, and I remember blurting with my own mouth. And of course, in my wonderful testimony, I would tell my non-Christian co-workers, it's so much easier hanging out with you than people at church. Christians drive me nuts. Whoa. I think God hasn't reminded me of that in this journey I'm now on. I've had to confess that to him and pray, Lord, Lord, I pray you've sent somebody to put a balm over my stupidity and my words. Words are like toothpaste. You remember that old one when you were a kid? Hey, kids, here's a board. Squeeze out some toothpaste. And they're all going, oh, this is fun. Okay, now, put it all back in. What? Those are words. You can't take them back. And they have the power to build up or the power to destroy. Be careful. Be careful of your words. First John, if you have a problem with hatred, write this down. I wanted to scare the kung fu out of you. First John 2 <laughs> basically, basically declares you're walking around the dark. You don't even know Christ. And you are the equivalent of a murderer if you hate your brother in Christ. Rick Warren wrote about them, said they're EGR folks. Extra grace required. Guess what? We're all EGR folks. Praise God for Jesus. Lust. I already covered that in my last sermon. James 1, 13 through 15. It's not from God. It's from your own evil desires. And they are birthed within you, your own self. You're the one. But it has this burgeoning uh, atomic effect. And in the end, the only benefit is death. And it means eternal death apart from God. Uh, unforgiveness, my last one. Go to Colossians 3.13. Unforgiveness. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Why do you have to do that? Why do you put that part in? I could have like faked it. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I don't know about you. I didn't deserve God's forgiveness. But he forgave me anyway. On the cross. We go back to Hebrews. Let us run with perseverance. Paul says in Philippians 3.13. Forgetting what's behind and straining toward what is ahead. I want you to understand this. What Paul's writing. You hear the word straining. Forgetting what's behind and strolling along with the flowers and the singing birds. For whatever might be up to he is straining toward, forgetting. I can't change this, but I'm back on track. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Folks, we're in a marathon. This is not a sprint. Life in Christ, your, your entirety in Christ Jesus. You will always have your flesh nature and your spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, it says the two are in opposition all the time doing this. So that you don't do the things you want. You don't get your way. When you died with Christ on the cross in a figurative manner, the self died. You said, I give up my rights. Christ is Lord over my life. He has rule. He has say. He has authority. 
Where then, and I have to ask this because we've all dealt with it in the Christian body. Where then is offense? We offend one another and we are easily offended. That's not from Christ. It's the very first time it comes to you. And I, I had to spill all this out of me with Tim and Ben and Kelly. Long memory, long memory. And on the outside forgave him, and we were at peace. But there were harbors and cysts and mold and fungus, spiritually speaking. Not anymore. Not anymore because of Jesus. Run with perseverance in this marathon. This demands strenuous effort and endurance attainable only through constant discipline. In 1 Corinthians 9, I'm turning there right now. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will last. That will not last, but we do it to get a crown that's going to last forever. So I have a question. Are you running to win or are you just part of the crowd? It takes way less effort just to be in the crowd. Oh yeah, I was in the Boston Marathon one time, but after like four miles I had two pick me up. We went to Burger King and celebrated. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We fix our eyes on Jesus like an athlete punching through to that line. He has one goal, one thing. Nothing's going to deter me. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? The word of God says. You were running. The inference is you're not anymore. And we're that way. We, it's a marathon, you know, today. Oh, today I'll be like a million bucks, man. I'll, I'll pass you up. <laughs> and other days, I don't really feel. I'm so drained. I'm so tired. Or I'm caught up with things of this earth. When I read that verse, it immediately came to me. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and steel. Have thine own way, Lord. Many of you know that old song. So if you want to write this down on the side, having to do with clay and God molding, it is God speaking to Israel in Jeremiah 18, J-E-R 1-8, verses 1 through 12. We fix our eyes on Jesus. In, in my work Bible, it's God speaking to Israel, but I have down on one part, Nineveh, you find it, little fun game for you, and on the other part I put America. All right, Nineveh and America, see if you can identify them. We know that Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Those who come to him must believe that he exists, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We do not seek him, so we get a reward. We seek him for him, for his character, his love, his attributes, and because we understand we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Walk, dead man walking, Green Mile, old movie. Dead man walking. Until we came to Christ, we were all that. Condemned. 
But now in Christ Jesus, all I'm saying is, while you're pursuing Christ, hey, here's a kind of a cool little side thing. God rewards those if you stick with it. And it's not haphazard. It's those who earnestly or diligently seek after him. I got to rock and roll. That clock moves so fast. The great cloud, they were all examples. But Jesus is our ultimate and supreme example. Paul says later in Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Jesus has already run the race and overcome. Regarding that hindering and entangling, if you want to note Hebrews 4.15 and 16, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then draw near the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. That's only on days that end in Y, all right? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross? The joy set before him endured the cross? Hmm. Jesus prayed, Father, if there's any way, remove this cup from me. Yet, not my will, thy will be done. That's submission. In John 12, 27, Jesus is speaking. And he says, my heart is troubled. What do I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. That is submission. God's highest and best above. We've died to self. We live for Christ. Jesus endured the agony, out of which comes the word excruciating. It didn't exist until the cross. It means out of the cross. Excruciating. A word came from that. It was heinous and horrible. He died this death on the cross, anticipating the joy of being Savior of his people. That's what was coming to him. He endured the here and now because his focus was on what was yet to come. And part of him being Messiah over his people is also he is going to be the groom. And we get to join all these of the Old Testament and all those in Christ. We will be the bride of Christ. Christ isn't going to get an ugly bride. He's going to get a spotless, perfect, beautiful wife. He'll be enamored of her. And they're only, we're only spotless and beautiful because of Christ. We can't do it on our own. But like our Father who has run the race and overcome, we can overcome. The Bible says so. So anytime the enemy is saying, you can't do that. Oh, good luck with that. I already gave testimony. 47 years roller coaster ride. And God finally stopped the ride and let me get off. And I fell at his feet. I worshiped him. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Not me. Oh, look at me. I'm tough and I'm macho and I'm, I have education. I'm, 
You are doodly squat compared to God. If we have a God who says, your righteous acts, the very best you can do, are as filthy rags in comparison with the purity and the cleanliness and the beauty and majesty and power and splendor of God. Scorning and shame. Crucifixion was so shameful and horrifying it was forbidden to be inflicted on Roman citizens. In Deuteronomy 21, it talks about Jewish law. Anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. In Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And we know in 2 Corinthians 5.21, we've mentioned it many times, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. It goes on to say, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That is a position of honor, glory forever. Let's read 12.3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. God knows us. Here's a fact. We do get weary and we do lose heart. We are flawed flesh. Discouragement comes even to the very strongest. But we are called to overcome. You can write down, if you're not familiar with it, 1 John 5, 3-5. And he talks about we are overcomers. Who is it that overcomes the world? He who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And it's not believe about him. It's not like a textbook Oh, yeah, I read about Napoleon and Alexander the Great and Aristotle. And it's not knowledge about. It's belief. I know him. He knows me. We're locked. We are one together, just as God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He makes us one with him. We are called to overcome. And I'm not going to read all these because of time's sake, but seven times in Revelation, in chapters 2 and 3, God responds for those who overcome. To him who overcomes, he gives the right. Will not be hurt. God will give. God will give. Will be dressed. And on and on. Really incredible, cool things. Seven times in Revelation 2 and 3. He then goes on to say, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Well, you don't know how much I suffered. So many other day called me a church freak. I'm so persecuted. In your struggle against sin, you haven't resisted the point of shedding blood. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement in case you happen to be here today and you feel like you have a tremendous persecution or you're getting a whooping that's not fair or hardships in your life. These come to every single one of us. And it's like you're a log on the ocean. It seems like and after a while, you get seasick. Or do you forget the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? Don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't just shrug it off. He's trying to get your attention. And I believe many times in our life, God goes, hey, and we're so busy, and we're so caught up, and we're not listening for him. We don't have our radar up for the Holy Spirit. 
And God being patient and wonderful like he is. Hey, that's not good for you. You need to get over here. Doop de doo. Hey. And then we're going, what's that for? In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. God the Father predestined us to be adopted with full sonship, full rights as his children through Christ Jesus. Hebrews 2.10, we sang earlier, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. This was God's plan. He was the perfect son, and he did not deserve suffering. Why then should we be shocked that as adopted ones following him, we be prepared for our inheritance through often painful discipline? Suffering and or persecution should be seen as corrective and instructive training for spiritual development, our maturing as is normal as his children. He chastens us to correct our faults. And the Bible is very clear. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's work to be done. This bride he's going to get, there's work to be done. There's a lot of preparation that has to go into it. We all have, I can, my dad and I used to say, there's nowhere to go but up. How is it today? Still going up. And I got, I got a long way to go. All right? It's like an ant on a blade of grass going, I'm jumping to Jupiter. Look what I did. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, so you're never ever in this lifetime going to stop and just continually on and on and on, having confidence in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 1, 6. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. God's discipline is evidence that we are his children. It's not a reason for despair. It's a reason for encouragement and perseverance. As we mature and are conformed more and more to the image of Christ, our responses are transformed from why me, why me, to thank you, Father. I'm so glad you love me. I'm back on track and I've got my focus. Thank you for your love. In 12.8, the way this is worded, if you're not disciplined, you're illegitimate. You're not true sons. Many Roman nobles had illegitimate sons. And that while they were financially supported, they received no discipline. It's kind of helter-skelter, but they got to eat at the table if they needed clothes at store or whatever. But the true sons of the legal wife of the nobleman were in the house, and they were under training and regimen comparable to slavery until the appointed time. Galatians 4, 1 and 2, if you want to read sort of like that, speaks of trustees and guardians. The son has all the right at 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 and 10 to the inheritance, but he's going to carry the father's name and inherit the estate 
There's work to be done. And so they, the legitimate children of the spouse, the legal spouse, they would be under a, a heavy regimen. Now in 12, 9 and 10. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. This passage is a contrast between the finite and fallible wisdom of our earthly fathers versus the infinite and faultless wisdom of our eternal heavenly father. In Acts chapter 9, the account of Saul's conversion to Paul and what we call a matrix download moment. If you're old, you say that to kids. Oh, matrix download. And the kids now, huh? All right. In chapter 26, Paul is recounting this encounter to King Agrippa. And Jesus confronts him saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. This was from a Greek proverb about useless resistance. The ox succeeds only in hurting itself. And the ox goad, you can go read about Shamgar. It's over in the book of Judges. He killed 600 Philistines in an encounter with an ox goat. And it was this club-like thing with a kind of a ball. It was hardwood. And it came down to a point. And the guy driving the oxen starts going, doop-dee-doo. You give him a poke in the show. Oh, I'm not going that way. And they get back on track. That's the goading. It's for steering and correction. It was a substantial instrument of correction. Otherwise, we meet God often with, uh, do I have to? Do I want to? Hey, I'll, I'll put that in another term for you Trekkies out there. Resistance is futile. All right? 12.10, God disciplines us for our good that we can share in his holiness. 1 Peter 1.15 says, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Be holy because I am holy. First thing that struck me, does that sound like a suggestion? Not a suggestion. And it's not some unattainable ideal. God doesn't do practical jokes. You shall be holy. It's almost an edict beside the command. You shall be holy for I am holy. And he says by his spirit we will overcome. And it is possible. It is attainable. That's who God is. If we consider it to be unavailable or impossible, we will settle for mostly holy. Or holier than that guy. And we end up with relative holiness and apathy and sloth will grow inside us in fetid corruption. We do not have relative holiness as an option. The standard and the high bar is Christ. That's it. Only one way to go. Second Peter 1, 3 through 4. He talks about everything pertaining to life and godliness. His divine power has given us. Has given us. Be holy because I'm holy. I don't think I can. 
His word says his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. Hey, I own a Bible and I carry it to church every Sunday. How often do you read it? Uh, okay, let's do this. How, often, how many hours a week of TV do you, and how much do you spend with God's word? Oh, come on, man, you're stepping on toes. Don't go there. You know why I step on those toes? Because those are my toes. Love television and escapism and movies and entertainment. But Paul writes to Timothy and he says, lovers of pleasure rather, rather than lovers of God in the end times. I don't want to be that. Not anymore. He will. If you say, Father, I'm out of balance. And this is garbage, in essence. And if you get streaming or Amazon or anything, man, you've got to hunt and hunt and hunt to find something to watch. That's because Jesus doesn't control the media. Everything pertaining to life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He called us. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You are participants in his divine nature. And the last verse, 12, 11 no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. No one likes a weapon, but discipline from our greatest advocate, our great high priest, the author and perfecter of our faith, the supreme and perfect witness of our lives, who has already run the race and overcome, who endured the worst and most dreadful, painful, lonely death in history, and who only and always, always has our best in mind, because we are his, redeemed forever at an immeasurable cost. Discipline from him is wholesome and beneficial. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that we get it. And we will not have a response out of our flesh in the future, Father. But we will grab after you and say, what are you teaching me? Thank you, Abba, Father. Dad, thank you, you love me. I needed that. Thank you. I needed correction. Man, I was way out of line. I was lost. Thank you, Father, that you do not let us just fall to the wayside, but you plant your seed in us by your Holy Spirit, and you give us a hunger. I pray that for our church body, Father. If we're, if we're not hungry for your word, if we're not hungry for eternal truths, and you could start right here with me and continue the work you've begun. You're going to last forever and your word's going to last forever. All the rest of this is stuff. Help us prioritize according to your plan and your purpose, Heavenly Father. Thank you that we have time together. We can worship you. 
we can talk to one another and encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. And we need that, Father, because we are often short-sighted. Help us get our focus on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.